When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Hey, it's Roy Wood Jr., host of the Daily Show podcast, Beyond the Scenes. We're going through some of our favorite episodes over the past year. And today, we're talking about black representation on screen. Our first clip is from Peanuts, Franklin, and Representation, where I sat with Daily Show writer Josh Johnson and creator of the comic strip Jumpstart, Rob Armstrong, to talk about the first black Peanuts character. His name was Franklin Armstrong. I did not know Franklin had a last name. Listen to the clip. So, Josh, when we talk about inclusion and representation, you know, that's always the conversation today. We need black characters on TV and we need to see more black faces on the TV. As you all were putting this piece together, how difficult was it to try and maintain the balance of sprinkling in this awareness that this character really did change the face of representation for black youth while also finding a couple jokes in there along the way? I feel like... Anytime something is um, insane in a bad way, anytime something is like unacceptable in a bad way, there is something funny about that. You know what I mean? So it's like the same way that it's crazy that it took so long for there to be a black character and it just be normal. It's like that is also funny. It's funny because it's wild, you know? And so I think that that's where the jokes come from because on one hand, you're like, wow, this is, this is, we're a little late. If, if you, if you think about how long we all have been around each other and, and our kids have been playing together, everything like that, we're a little late. But then also I think that you, you want to just kind of, like you said, convey that this is a big deal. So I know it's not, I know it's not a big deal now. We've got like half of HBO is black now. And like, you know, all, all these, <laughs> all these shows are just like, so there's, they're so black that like you have cousins now who are on the show and you're like, you don't even act. And it's like, yeah, but they needed somebody. So yeah, I hopped on. like there's, there's that much, but you right. have to take it back a few decades to where it's like, there was nothing. And even some of the representation we see now, whether it's Asian or black, is like it's an overwhelming amount happening quickly recently. It's not as if this is yeah. just the world we've always lived in. So I, I think that those are the main mindsets you have to keep in mind when you write for pieces like this, where you have to put it in context to the time. And you also have to acknowledge that, yeah, this is, this is like a wild thing. It is, it is as messed up as it is. It is funny that the world could be that messed up. Yeah. So, Rob, to your point earlier about Mr. Schultz having complete autonomy over the creative of his comic strip and yeah. choosing to put a black character in this comic strip, I would imagine that he didn't have like 
There was no diversity and inclusion board to run your black characters by. There was no, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't imagine that comic books have the same focus group type level of detail before something is released to the public the way a television show or the way a movie is. What do you think Schultz got right? And where do you think some places where the representation could have been, I don't want to say a little bit better, but it was a step in the right direction. But what what else do you wish that you could have seen from the first black comic strip character? Or was Franklin's presence enough for you to get the ball rolling? Well, Roy, I saw what you guys did to my boy Franklin on his 50th. He was... You talking about how we had him sitting alone? We used of all the clips of Franklin, we found the one where he's sitting on the on the thanks at the Thanksgiving special by himself. himself. I just don't want him to be the other kid all the time. Even at Thanksgiving, yeah, they invited him, but look where they put him. He's by himself. Even the dog gets to sit with the kids. Why's the dog even at the damn table? It's cool though, Franklin. Franklin, look, man, Franklin, they did you a favor. You don't want none of that bland ass white people turkey anyway. They ain't putting no sprinkles on it. You know they don't season the food, right? Have, did y'all have Thanksgiving in Africa? Y'all had them breakdancing. I never even saw that breakdancing. I don't know where. I'm like, where do they, like, what kind of research team finds oh, that? Indeed. Oh, they go beyond. Boomba. <laughs> it was every time with this kid. Anytime you walk down the street in Peanutsville, you might run into Franklin and his homeboy pop locking. And even when he's hanging out with his friends, everyone else gets a normal handshake. But no, not Franklin. He got a slap skin. See what I mean? All the other Peanuts are just kids, but Franklin's running around Peanutville like a damn baby shaft. <laughs> He's a tiny, bad mother. Shut your mouth. I'm talking about Franklin. Okay, so. The TV's Roy, different. We're talking, just take us back to 68. Very different. <laughs> it's very different. Sparky had very little to do with TV. He actually trusted two men, Bill Melendez and Lee Mendelson. Those two men are responsible for his television success. All those, those Christmas specials and all that. Great pumpkin specials. The great pumpkin, okay, yeah. But the introduction was tenuous because the world was so tense you guys it it was just a crazy time i'm a little older than almost everybody i meet nowadays and 1968 in in america was just awful in the same year that dr king was assassinated he 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 got murdered in, in in april in july july 1st my brother billy who was a wild boy my brother was um seven years older than I. And he, uh, he was just a wild kid. My mom had a single mom and she had a hard time with Billy. Anyway, he, uh, he went out and was horsing around with his friends. We live right near the subway. It was elevated above the street, like in Chicago. And we just hear it rumbling all day and night. My mom hated it. She was kind of forced to live where we lived and didn't have any way of getting out of that situation. And she was haunted by the subway, the sound of it. And she feared Billy would be killed on it one day because him him and his friends were so dude these guys they could jump the turnstile get through those doors before the guy had a chance anyway she sent them downtown and said uh, listen i don't want you horsing around i know you need a pair of sneakers here's money for the sneakers here's money for your car fare we call it the car fare to get on the subway don't jump on it don't play around I'm serious he says okay mom i won't he was walking through the doors this on July 1st, 
1968, one of his friends hocked a loogie into the engineer's face as he poked his head out to check for passengers clearance. Put his head out, and one of my friends, my, butter, my brother's buddies, hocked one, and he reeled backward and shut the door, wham, with that crank, bam, and my brother was only halfway in, and he got torn in half. Mm. That was July 1st, when July 31st, Franklin was introduced. You guys, there's a very good chance I would not have this career <laughs> if this dude didn't show up to cheer me up the same month that happened. The wow. same month that happened. I just loved seeing him. If you want to ask me what Schultz did right, he listened to somebody. Did he have a perfect landing? Did he stick the landing? I mean, you know, come on, man. He didn't know anything about it. His whole trepidation was built around, what do I know about black people and being black? This guy is from Minnesota. He's like, I'm going to get it so wrong. So he knew going, going in. That he's very nervous, man. But he got it right. It's okay. You don't have to get it right. He put so much thought and care into Peanuts, it became a global icon. I met this guy who was a collector. And I was brand new, I was 26. You know, I was, I was the youngest cartoonist with a syndication deal in the whole country. And I met this guy who said, I can help you sell your original strips. That's what I do. Mm -hmm. And I would never do this today, but you know, I, I needed money. <laughs> sure, <laughs> it sounds good to me. So this guy, Mark, nice enough guy, was my broker. And I was talking about Schultz's influence on me one day, he says, Oh, Sparky, that's my friend. You want to meet him? I said, wait, who? Who are you talking about? Sparky Schultz, that's my buddy. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. He says, if you ever come to California, call me, we'll get together. I'll take you over there to meet Sparky Schultz. Dude, it was like, but well, there's nothing to compare that to. <laughs> it, would be, it would be like it's 1984. Somebody's like, I know Eddie Murphy. You want to go over there? <laughs> If anything, you're like, should you be telling me where Eddie Murphy lives? Right. Like, exactly. I was like, what? <laughs> it was crazy. I walk into this campus. It's not a uh, it's not an office building or anything. It's a it's a Disney like environment. He had his own ice skating rink and his own restaurant, like a cafe. Then he had an office type building that you walk into. And as you walk in, there's an atrium, massive, maybe three stories. This sounds like Eddie Murphy wide house. Wide open. Yeah, like this, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. It, indoor pool, outdoor pool. That much more money, you're like, why? Wait, so how'd you decide what to spend it on? Because I'm, I'm, I'm actually expecting you to say weirder stuff than what I'm hearing. Because what I'm hearing still seems relatively reasonable. You know, it, he was a, yeah, he was a reasonable, humble man which I'm going to get to in a, in a second. He, um, he did have this one celebratory space though. As you walked in, he just had the Red Baron, you know, Snoopy on the thing. You could look up and it's flat. I can't even describe it. Just everywhere you look, there was something. A lot of commemorate presidents and actors and they, I love you, Sparky. And, and that's when I realized his name was Sparky. Everybody calls him Sparky. Everybody, Frank Sinatra, like every, all this stuff. I was so eager to meet my my um, my idol. I sent him an original Jumpstart for my first like month of syndication. His office was Spartan, famously Spartan. He had a desk to draw on, 
a table to write letters on, a bookcase. He was a voracious reader and a sofa. And my my jumpstart was the only thing hanging up on the wall of his office. So I walk in. I thought I was seeing things. I said, um, oh, I said, I get it. Your friend told, told you I was coming and you framed that. That's very nice. I said, I get it, man. That's very, very, I'm very touched. It. He said, what do you, what do you mean? I said, you, you knew I was coming. So you put the, uh, put the thing, up. you put the thing on. Yeah. He said, no, he said, no, your work is great, man. He said, jumpstart has what peanuts has great characters. You can do this comic strip for the rest of your life. He said, but you, just, just remember one thing. Don't let the syndicate, you know, the people who distribute my work, don't let the syndicate ever tell you what to do. Don't pay any attention to them. It's a whole office filled, filled with non-talented people. It's sound like it. entertainment too, Josh. <laughs> yeah, it's not, like this, the wildest thing about this whole story is just the idea of Charles Schultz talking shit. So it's like you get, <laughs> like you get in the office and he's like, close the door behind you. Listen, don't let anybody son you. All right. Like just like like you, you always imagine him as like talking the way Charlie Brown talks. So the fact that he's man. like, nobody knows what they doing. All right. You totally. hold on to your IP. OK, totally. Josh, I'm not kidding. It's extremely important that a creative person have utter trust in the talent that they've been given because everybody has not been given talent. Big thank you to the homie Josh Johnson and Rob Armstrong for their insight. After the break, we are talking the portrayal of black people in horror movies. Y'all know we be dying first. It's beyond the scenes. We got to break that down. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. <sighs> here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. 
Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Let's shift gears for a bit and talk about horror. Black horror. (laughs) On the episode titled The History of Black Horror Movies, I sat down with Daily Show writer Ashton Womack, filmmaker Tanana Reeve Du, author and screenwriter Stephen Barnes, and author and educator Dr. Robin Armines Coleman to talk about influential movies from the black horror genre. Give it a clip. Since we're talking about black horror, then we have to first define it because Ashton and I fumbled all over that in the first segment because we don't know what technically makes black a black horror film you know what makes that what what are the rules for that subgenre Tanana Reeve I'll start with you oh shoot okay yes um uh, my opinion about it is black horror can be as many kinds of stories as black creators come up with sometimes it's just that there's a black lead like you can have a film like the girl with all the gifts which is not a black movie. It was written by a white author, but they cast the lead black like George A. Romero did in Night of the Living Dead. And hey, it's not just that the lead is black, but it has a sensibility that is sort of interrogating society and shifts in society and rules of society. So it has kind of a black personality, (laughs) even if it Mm -hmm. might have a white director. But yeah, black director, black lead, um, and a black sensibility. Or just filling up an invisible, like, like, addressing invisibility like we exist we don't even have to do anything black we just exist (laughs) okay so then for my other two for for my other two here on the panel define for me when you recognize that this was a genre that you felt drawn to that you got something out of like you know i know we all have our own favorite film genres what was it about or what is it about horror that you go yes scare me you're already black well, first, I think let's start with a definition of horror. Horror would be a film who the, the primary emotion they want you to experience is dread, horror. So whatever it is that they're doing, you know, it could be supernatural. It could be science fiction, you know, supernatural, the exorcist, science fiction, alien. It could be, you know, uh, psychological horror, psycho. But they want you to feel that emotion. So what Tanana Reeve said who is my good lady wife, uh, is... Oh, <laughs> is, bookmark that. Yeah, <laughs> um, is that black horror would then be horror films that have a black perspective. It's a diasporic performer or writer or director or in some way connects to that. So it, being black in America is a matter of constantly knowing that you're under a low level of attack. I mean, the the, the mortality statistics just say that for a fact. So if white people and people all over the world like dark stories, stories that are that that touch the question of death, um, black people, I think, have even more reason to need to to balance their emotions. Screaming and laughing both release tension. Yeah, well, black people do that both when they when they laugh, they scream. That makes sense. That's right. That's right. So so to be able to keep your keep your emotions in a healthy range. We watch comedies to release tension. We watch horror or a suspense movies where somebody's crawling across, you know, the some huge monument being shot at by spies increases our tension level, drops our tension level. We're trying to survive. We're trying to stay in the Goldilocks zone where it's not too much tension. 
and it's not too much relaxation because both of them will, will, will take you apart. We're just trying to survive, but we have some very special needs in that sense. For me, black horror is fun. It's funny. It's entertaining. But most importantly, black horror hails my blackness. It speaks to black life and culture, certainly, as Steve said, the socio and political, but it is also about my style and my music and my aesthetic. Black horror is, it is life. It's Blackula, it's Tales from the Hood, it's Candyman 2021, not Bernard Rose's Candyman 1992. Black horror is Death by Temptation that had James Bond III, Samuel L. Jackson, Kadeem Hardison. It is all of the things that says, there's an insider conversation that we're having about black people and blackness and black ideologies. And it may speak to an external audience, but we're not gonna do all the definitional work to bring you in. This is about you, it's for you. Yeah, oh, I love that. I can't remember if it was Toni Morrison who was like, I don't have to write my stories for anybody outside of, for anybody, I'm writing to the people who understand. It was something to, to akin to that, of writing stories for us to understand, for the person, the people who need to understand, understand. And white people or any other audience having to try to, she doesn't have to like write to help explain to the white audience, to other people's audience. This is for us. I, I love that sentiment. So. Black horror is fubu. It's for us <laughs> bias. Right, right. And, and, I, and I get how some people don't want to lean into tension and lean into scares. Like y'all were saying, it's like life is hard enough. Racism is hard enough. Because, and like I said in the, the documentary Horror Noir, black history is black horror. And we could just put a period Ooh. there. But the, the person who loved horror first in my life was my late mother, Patricia Stevens Dew. She was a civil rights activist who had tear gas thrown in her face at the age of 20. So she wore dark glasses the whole rest of her life, wow. even indoors. She loved horror. And I think for her, it was about leeching out the trauma, not bringing in more. She'd already lived the trauma. She knew trauma was real. But monsters, mm. zombies, demons, ghosts, which she did not believe in, by the way, <laughs> ghosts, <laughs> imaginary horror was soothing and helped put a face to that monstrosity. And once right. in a while, the characters can win. They can beat the monster. Now, even if the characters were all wow. white, I remember being on a panel at a science fiction convention once and somebody asked me, why do I like watching slash slasher movies? And I would say, because I enjoy watching white people die. <laughs> and, and, and the whole audience cracked up and I said, you know what's really funny? You think I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> when, 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 you know, if you're going to exclude us from the movies, it's like, I'm sorry. You know? <laughs> so, but when we started appearing in, in there more, then it, it's that, it, it's feeling seen. It's feeling that, okay, we're part of, of this continuum too. We, you know, do we not feel, do we not fear? And it's, is it not fun to watch us in those situations? The difference between the original Candyman and, and the remake is stark. The original Candyman was black trauma for white audiences. Mm -hmm. The reimagined Candyman was from our perspective. It wasn't the white gaze. White people could come and watch it if they appreciated it, but it wasn't for them. And nice. I think that, that that shift is important. So, Dr. Coleman, I'm curious, what was your relationship with horror growing up? Because what I'm starting to see, if Tanana Reeves' background and my backgrounds are any proof, a lot of it starts early on in what you tend to gravitate toward. Because I had weird 
real life, what I believe, there's a demon that's trying to kill me. I don't want to oh, see no. nothing about no fake demons. What was your relationship growing up? What do you think it was that drew you to this genre? So I, I get to claim horror because I am from Pittsburgh, born and raised. And for true horror fans, that's all I have to say. If you need to buy a vowel, Pittsburgh is the land of George Romero. It is the land of Night of the Living Ooh. Dead. It is where Night of the Living Dead was filmed in and around. So horror for me is in my DNA. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Romero used real life Pittsburghers in Night of the Living Dead. Those were people that we saw, we recognized, they were our neighbors. They were cast as militia and we knew that that was the black experience in Pittsburgh to have to do battle with those police. So for me, again, it's in my DNA. So since you all are historians on this genre, and I'm sure you saw the segment that I did with a terrible mustache glued to my face, of the films that we were able to fit into it, you know, Ashen already talked about that in the first segment, that we didn't really, we weren't able to get to everything. But we did, you know, mention Son of Ngagi. We did talk about Rachel True's role in the craft. What were some of the bigger ones that you all think we missed? Blackula. Yeah. We did a segment on it, like, during it. We mentioned it slightly because Blackula is so interesting. It's so funny. The only issue was it was during the, uh, it was, like, black. we wanted, we, we summed it up in a black exploitation era where it was Blackula, Blackenstein, uh, Dr. Black and Mr. High, where they would just add black to any horror movie. And then that was like, <laughs> that's a hit. And, uh, so yeah, I, w I wish we would have went in deeper because Blackula is so funny and like how it was like received at the time it's a cult classic now but at the time people were like this is some shucking and jiving what the hell is this i'd say dawn of the dead mm. because ken mm. foray was one of the very first black leads in a horror film who got to survive and a black priest delivered one of the most chilling lines i've ever heard which is when the dead walk the earth we must stop the killing or lose the war and so that made that a black horror movie for me you know, is is the idea of the thematics of it being expressed by a black man and a black man surviving the damn movie. <laughs> uh, do you think so? I'm, I'm going to put another shout out in for Blackula. It, I, I don't know. I thought it sort of shed the, the black exploitation era. I mean, this is a movie that's about a delayed move through the Middle Passage. And yes. here we are, you know, in Watts in L.A. saying there's a connection between slavery and what we're experiencing in America today. Well, because of the actor involved, was it William Marshall? Yes, yes. William Marshall. Yes. Directed gravitas. by William Crane. He brought fantastic gravitas to that role. Think about that, that movie with a bad actor in it, and it would have been trash. But he elevated <laughs> everything. He treated that as if it was Shakespeare. Shakespeare. I mean, I just, I, I love that movie. It was important. That's why I have to forever give a shout out to to black creators who get opportunities. Like, how did William Crane, like in his 20s, how did he even get that opportunity to direct a movie? But so often when we do get those opportunities, we want to do more. I'm sure the, the producers would have been happy just for him to slap something together. But he brought in, you know, the very beginning of the movie, people who haven't seen it. It's been a minute. Uh, William Marshall's character is arguing with Count Dracula about the transatlantic slave trade, uh, holding court, you know, and, and it's, it's like, whoa, when is the last time you saw yourself in the 1700s, right? It's just right. so, and, and all the Swahili and the, the history, some of it a little misguided and, but, but, uh, just really trying to do more. And I also mention 
uh, uh, what was supposed to be a knockoff of Blackula, but which became a great film in its own right, which was Ganja and Hess. Mm. With uh, Bill Gunn, they were like, hey, why don't you do a black vampire movie like Blackula? And he's like, um, okay, I will do a movie, but it is not going to be like Blackula. And he did his own meditation on immortality and love and death and history. And I just mm. love seeing artists trying to work within a system that isn't really interested in our stories, but is just often interested in profiting off of our stories. Genre films can have an advantage in breaking through to an audience because genre films have fans that love that genre, just love it, and will go see almost anything within it. So a black horror film is not only going to get black audiences, but it's going to get genre audiences, people who want good horror. And that actually helps to make the world more porous, where it, it's, it's possible. It may be difficult to get through that barrier, but it's not impossible. It's less impossible. So these movies actually made a difference. They got people behind the camera, not just standing as actors. One of the best examples of that is Get Out, you know, which is one of the reasons we're all here right now. When right. Jordan Peele made Get Out and, and released it in 2017, you know, as he said in Horror Noir, he, he made that film to work for the Black audiences. If it doesn't work for the Black audiences, it's a fail. But it made $250 million. So clearly it worked for way more than the Black audiences. Yes. It gave so much attention to this subgenre of Black horror and has created so many opportunities. Like even our documentary got the green light the day he got his Oscar. Big thank you to all of our guests right there. To take it home, we're going to revisit a conversation we had about the stereotype of the strong black woman. Beyond the scenes, I'll be right back. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Hey, let's wrap it up with a clip from Dissecting the Strong Black Woman Stereotype, where I talked with Daily Show producer Chelsea Williamson and creator and showrunner of Amazon's Harlem, Tracy Oliver. Tracy's depiction of the stereotype on her show adds multiple layers to the conversation, and it reminds us that a black woman's strength does not make her invincible. Give it a clip! Let's talk about Harlem. Now... This is a television show that, you know, when you look at some shows that, you know, really get into the trauma and heartache of what black women go through. This show is just straight up breath of fresh air. You got 
four black women friends in Harlem, living their lives, going about their business. Talk first about the importance of that, but also, you know, I'm like, this is now we're getting inside baseball, right? All right, you create a show that's black and it's speaking to the black experience, but sometimes these shows are viewed and given notes by producers that may not have lived that experience and may not completely understand everything that you're speaking to or pushing back against. What are some of the ways that negative stereotypes about black women traditionally seep into media? And did you find yourself pushing back against those types of creative notes, if not with Harlem, just at any point from Awkward Black Girl with Issa Rae until now? Have you ever had to push back against that type of stuff to make sure that you create the type of content that is like what Harlem is? Oh, oh boy, yes. Um, <laughs> uh oh. I, I had to let out the black girl sigh on that, but yeah, that's that's happened. I think my entire career, it's um, it's something that I think most black creators, unfortunately, struggle with. Because, again, you are dealing with mostly non-Black executives who don't know your experiences and also have an idea of Blackness that, they, that they're interested in that may not be what you're interested in. The weird thing that I will say is that there's kind of a fascination with Black pain and poverty mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I feel like that's what they get really excited about. Poverty yeah. And so you come in and you're like, yeah, these black girls, you know, they like sex and they like cocktails and they're like, oh, OK, but get to the the part where they're shot by cops. And the, I'm like, is it in the game? <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> no, she's ridiculously successful. It's making good. She's making she has a good career. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, is there a gun? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're wondering when the gun will appear or, you know, is, is Megan's mom a crack mom? Like, it's like always just something that you're like, no, I thought they could just be normal on some level. Like it doesn't have to be this like hyper, like traumatized, painful situation. Like I, I think that we can have shows that just show people like having fun and falling in love. And, and I think within that show, and that's why we want to do the strong black woman episode, you can do something that highlights a part of, of blackness that may not be all fun, but it was important to me. And it's always important to me to show that we are a happy, joyful group of people and that we, we love and we live life and have a lot of amazing, positive moments. So I don't want to just focus on um, painful stuff. The strong black woman episode, break that one down uh, for people who haven't seen the, uh, the series yet. So the Strong Black Woman episode kind of focuses on just our four main characters and they're, you know, four black women. And so they're all kind of dealing with their version of a painful thing. And what's kind of funny about it is that they're not really opening up to each other, even about some of the stuff that's happening until like it, they're all kind of forced to in this like hospital room together. I was in therapy. I just got your message. Uh, no worries. It's all good. You're in a hospital bed. It is not all good. I cannot believe that she needed surgery when that asshole doctor wouldn't even give her a fucking pain pill yesterday. Yesterday? <laughs> oh, no, 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 ma'am. You know what's bad when Ty is crying? I never thought I'd see the day. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm trying to be strong, but this shit is scary. 
honey. Why are you trying to be strong in a hospital bed? Yeah, being strong is so overrated. <laughs> oh, no. There's a lot going on. Everybody stop apologizing. Yes. Why do we always have to be the ones who apologize for oh. hurting? No. I am sick of this shit, y'all. Oh. <laughs> Thank you, Quinn. You're the only one of us who's not a mess. That's not true. I am a mess. Oh. I'm just not allowed to talk about it. You know, with the queer character, Ty, we decided to give her, um, you know, the fibroids issue. And that's something that disproportionately affects black women. And I didn't even know that. That came up through a writer in my writer's room. And, you know, she was dealing with the fibroids issue. And I was fascinated by it. And then, of course, um, went just like the character, went to the hospital, was told to take some pain medicine and kind of dismissed and then ended up passing out. And then, you know, later found out it was a, a ruptured ovarian cyst. And it could have been, you know, very, very like catastrophic for her had she not gone to the hospital at that point. That conversation kind of led me to just this idea of like black pain and how people look at us and think that, you know, we're stronger than everybody else and that we have a, a high pain tolerance. And for some reason, there's just a lack of empathy when we go to you know, doctors or, or to medical centers, it's like, for whatever reason, you can look at a white woman in pain and somehow relate to it and, and empathize with it. But with a black person, they kind of more often than not um, send you home with just regular pain medicines. And we use the toughest, you know, character as far as, you know, how she presents on the outside to be the most vulnerable in this one because we wanted to kind of make a point with that. But yeah, we just, we're exploring mental health. We're exploring um, issues in the workplace that, that go awry. And then on the other end, with one of our characters, we're just kind of exploring, like when you are going through something at work and it's driving you crazy and it's like taking its toll on you on the inside, but you can't do anything about it because you might lose your job. So <laughs> it's just a lot of stuff that we were like, they're, well, they're different versions of pain. What was what was interesting about that episode to me, also with that character, Ty, is that, you know, she's a member of the LGBTQ plus community. And so you have this queer woman that is still dealing with issues that affect all women. And mm -hmm. I think that sometimes when we look at when we look at that community, it's easy sometimes, especially as a straight man, hetero man, to disassociate queerness and LGBTQ issues from feminine or woman. It, like somehow it's just it's you what you are also woman, too. You have yep. fibroid. It I had the surgery, so I'm all good. Right. I mean, I know this going to be recovery time. Unfortunately, not quite. That cyst was just the tip of the iceberg. You have several medium and large fibroids and a polyp on your uterine lining. The good news is that we can take care of everything at once with a hysterectomy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Damn, that's a bit drastic, don't you think? Of course it is. Well, I get the feeling you're not interested in giving birth. And it really is the easiest and most effective treatment. <sighs> easiest for who? Just because I'm masked doesn't mean I'm not a woman. And nobody asked you for your feelings. That would be the rest of your labs. Hang on. I am so sorry, Ty.
So it's so many boxes that are beautifully checked and layered. And to that point, Chelsea, what 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 did y'all leave out of this segment? Because Tracy just broke down in one episode about eight different boxes <laughs> that women be going through in one episode with one character. Where what like when it's time to edit mm-hmm. the script before you even go out and shoot with Dulce. How did you all start going, okay, well, which things can we not educate folks about? Yeah, I feel like that's always the hardest thing, isn't it? It's just editing down. Um, I feel like with this one, we probably didn't get as much into the real life effects as we could have. um, Because, again, we only have so much time. But to what Tracy and I were speaking about earlier is this really does have tangible um, effects on black women and is not solely just like a trope that, is just kind of there in media, but doesn't actually exist in real life. So I feel like we didn't get as much into that. But, you know, like the strong black woman trope or the superwoman myth, uh, I feel like they're about the same thing, really does negatively affect a lot of black women. And I would say to a degree, the negatives almost outweigh the positives, in my opinion, um, of it, just because, you know, we are more likely to have higher blood pressure and just, you know, be stressed out to my earlier point. And, you know, just all of these things were just not as cared for and the empathy is not there to Tracy's point. Wish we could have gotten into that a little bit more into the mental health aspect of it and how that's such a big part as well. Whether it's cartoons, horror movies, or your favorite shows, we're shifting to a space where we're seeing more dynamics of the black experience on screen. We've also given you great content to binge. Thank you to our wonderful guests from these episodes, and I hope you all enjoy going further beyond the scenes. Be sure to listen to The Daily Show Beyond the Scenes on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-lunch pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.